0: Good morning, please uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew six, nineteen through 24 today, though we'll be looking only at one verse today, verse 24, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Lord God, once again we come to your word and we are, we are deficient. We need you and we, we know that we don't measure up. Lord, we are really aware of that and I am today aware of that in my own life. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us grace to hear, grace to, to, uh, to process your word, and grace to obey what you show us today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's this well known bumper sticker. You've seen it or heard about it. And it reads like this He who dies with the most toys wins. It's like a little competition going on, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. Now, it's relatively harmless, it's funny. Uh, you know, to many people, that's all it is. But if you actually lived by that mindset, uh, that would reflect a much more serious issue. It would reflect a worldview that is um, that is saying something like this: you know, life and eternity really don't matter; they don't have any meaning, and so you should just live it up now. Just uh, eat, drink, and be merry, because there really isn't anything beyond this life. There are people who live like that, who, who think that. Someone once said, "Get all you can." can all you get sit on the can (laughs) that'll keep it safe right but the idea behind uh, he who dies with the most toys wins is that that uh, you should find your worth in materialism and pleasure of this world and that is unfortunately a lie that many believe today now in matthew chapter six Um, specifically in verses 19 through 21, Jesus spoke about two kinds of treasures. Two kinds of treasure and the greater durability of treasures in heaven and the resulting security that leads to the development of godly character. Now in verses 22 and 23, he spoke of two kinds of eyes and uh, two ways of seeing things and the greater benefit uh, of a life fixed on Jesus, a life... Focused upon Jesus and, and the resulting perspective and subsequent actions that that, that, that inspires. Um, it, the idea of if you look at the things of this world with a healthy spiritual perspective, uh, your life will be useful to God. That you, if you live with greed, your life uh, will be wasted. So now what Jesus is doing, as we look at this last verse in this section, He is basically highlighting uh, an even more basic choice, uh, that of the choice between two masters. Who are you going to serve? The first thing that you see in verse 24 is the concept of service. Uh, No one can serve two masters, how the verse begins, and then the verse ends, you cannot serve God and money. So no one can serve two masters, and you can't serve God and money so it looks like we need to understand what serve means. We need to understand this concept of service. Now in our culture we speak of, um, of serving food. We speak of serving an employer who actually pays you a salary. Um, we even talk about serving ourselves. Um, but the basic idea that Jesus is getting at here is that you cannot serve two masters because you are the sole property of one. Demanding exclusive service, exclusive service to one, it's required. Now, to understand this, you've got to understand two things about slaves in the ancient world. Slaves, first of all, a slave uh, in the eyes of the law was a thing, not a person. Uh, A possession. And his master had complete control over his life. He could do whatever he wanted with the slave, even to the point of, of ending his life. And the second thing about slaves is, they had no time of their own. Their time did not belong to them. You know, we, we speak of serving today, and, and we say, well, I serve during this period of time, and then, then I'm on my own time. Now I'm taking a break, or now I'm going on a holiday, or, or a vacation, or now I'm off. But the slave was never off. A hundred percent of his time belonged to his master exclusively. Now, in Bible times, serve was a very strong statement. It's it's not so strong in our culture, um, but it's it was a vivid picture in those days of of life. Uh, The Greek word for serve here is um, douluo. It's from the the Greek word doulos, which means to be a bondservant or a slave. A bondservant or a slave. And literally it means to serve as a slave. Serve as a slave, not as an employee, but to be completely under the command of another person. And He says no one can serve as a slave to two masters, Jesus says. You can't have two masters. The Greek word here for master is kurios, which is translated lord. You can't have two lords. You can't have two masters. It's indicating this absolute ownership and that no one can be a slave to two owners. It won't work out. There'll be problems. Now, with regard to God, Christians have no, right of, have no rights of their own. Um, that God must be the undisputed owner over our lives. Now, I brought something up with me today. It's something that if you've been in my office uh, here at the church, you may have seen before. You might have wondered what it is and why does it say what it says. It, it's a little placard for those of you that are um, vision challenged. Of course, I'm still not wearing my reading glasses, but I can see it clearly. Um, well, I can see it clearly. And um, it says here, a prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians 4.1 Uh when Paul says in Ephesians four one, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, um, uh, beseech you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Where did I get this? When I was ordained back in nineteen ninety. In fact, Doug, Doug Ruler and I were ordained uh, two weeks, uh, a week apart from each other in nineteen ninety. And uh, the pastor of the church at Downey First Baptist gave us one of these. We'd always give one and kind of. Our name would be on one side, and that's the other thing. This was in the old school days, where as you walked into your, as people walked into your office, your desk was between you and them. And so, the, what he put on the other side was Reverend Michael Shera. Okay, and what he said when he gave it to me is, "When people will see this, but you will see a prisoner of the Lord." And he goes, "You need to be reminded. Uh, don't start thinking that this title is anything that uh, gives you, you know, uh, special." rights and privileges ab- over other people or above other people. And the whole idea was uh, a reminder that I am the Lord's. I belong to God. I am, I, we are not to lord it over others and things like that. And uh, so now in the, in the new school ways, we don't put our desks between ourselves and the door. So all you see is the prisoner of the Lord. The other one's just hidden, you know. So anyway, the... Um, The idea here is that God must be the undisputed owner of our lives. We don't own our lives. Sometimes we think we do. Hey, it's my life and I can live it the way I want. So get off my back. Any words ringing in your ears right now? See, we don't like this whole idea of um, being under authority to another. We we don't like it. It goes against the grain for us. Now, we don't like it because based upon a lot of negative connotations, that comes with the word serve in our culture. Uh, People who mistreat other people, people who treat others like they're inferior. So we say things like, hey, I'm not your slave, meaning, you know, I don't have to do what you say. Now, in the United States, there are instances in our history of forced slavery, which also Uh, brings about some negative connotations, uh, rightly so. Um, So the idea of being a servant, uh, to many nowadays, is seen as a negative. Even the idea of hired help doing menial jobs in our culture is looked down upon. And uh, we, we probably have all seen people be treated very badly by others who devalue them because of their position in life, because of their job. How sad. But in Bible times... People would actually um, sometimes become a slave if they could not uh, support themselves. And even at times, if they had a chance to be free, they would say, no, I have a good master and I want to stay. I don't want to go free. I'd rather stay here. And they would voluntarily stay as a servant, uh, exclusively serving another master. But why would Jesus use this statement, you cannot serve two masters? No one can do it. He is showing the impossibility of dual mastership. Why would he say this? Because we try. We try to serve two masters. Now some people disagree with Jesus outright. I'm I'm surprised at how many Christians love to disagree with Jesus. It's one thing to disagree with, with another person, but to disagree with Jesus, it happens all the time. Some people disagree with Jesus. They say, well, I I, am strong enough to live with one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in heaven, let's say. That I can, you know, and they'll even quote, hey, I'm in the world but not of it. Uh, have you ever stopped to think what that means? <laughs> in but not of. It's not of the mindset, not of the nature, not of the same nature, not of the world system that is opposed to God. See, Jesus here is, is, is highlighting the impossibility of dual ownership over a slave. And sure, in our, in our culture, you can have two or three bosses. You, people, well, especially in the economy now, some people hold two or three uh, jobs. Now, that's possible because you do this many hours over here and then and, and you leave and you do this many hours over here and you leave and you do some over here and you leave and they're not having your exclusive service. It's just for a certain number of hours. But, This is not what Jesus is getting at. You cannot be attached to two masters as a slave. Issues of ownership, issues of obligation arise. Eugene Peterson put it this way. Service begins with an upward look to God. God is over us. He is above us. And the person of faith looks up to God. Not at him or down on him. The servant assumes a certain posture, a stance. If he or she fails to take that posture, attentive responsiveness to the master's commands will be hard. Well, Jesus actually says, it's impossible. It's impossible. We are going to respond to our true master one way or another. And it speaks to where our allegiance lies. See, in the context of treasures and gathering them or not, and where you're laying them up, where you're storing those treasures, what kind of treasures they are, Jesus is uh, speaking, uh, giving a warning really about loyalty. A a, A warning about loyalty. We've all had people that have not been loyal to us. You don't want to hang around them. But we've had people who will stick by us through thick and thin. Those are your true friends. Those are your real friends. Jesus here says in verse 24, see, here's why that you cannot serve two masters. You are either going to hate one and love the other one, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other one. These are polar opposite responses. Hate here means to neglect. It means to disregard. It means to slight Uh, The biblical ideas, by the way, of love and hate don't just refer to an emotional reaction. We think of it as an emotional reaction. That is why we can very quickly say, I hate you, or I love you, and we throw it around so so easily. Well, in, in the biblical meaning of these two words, they refer to a pattern of life, not an emotional response. A pattern of life. A pattern that would be seen as love, or a pattern that would be seen as hate. Then you've got the the word devoted. That literally means to hold firmly to. To stick by someone. To stick by something. To cling to. Now despise is the opposite. It literally, the words literally mean to think against. If you're thinking against someone, you're despising them. It means to think little of, to disrespect. to, To look down upon, to devalue a person. But see, Jesus is saying, you will uh, stand by and be devoted to uh, the one uh, that, you, that you truly are serving and despise and be against the other. You can't say you're serving two because you're really only serving one, is what he's saying. And what this, this highlights is the danger of divided loyalties. When you cling to one and push another away, when you listen to one and ignore another, the true loyalty cannot be given to conflicting entities. It is it's not possible. You are, you are lying to one. Loyalty to the, to the world, basically, is disloyalty to God. Disloyalty to God. Jesus, basically, is saying that divided loyalty, um, he's talking in the context of material things, possessions, versus spiritual things, possessions in heaven, um, that divided loyalty won't be accepted. That that's not, It's not even part of the picture. It can't fulfill the person who tries to hold on to both. And, that, and, and the other thing he's saying is that material things really aren't neutral. We like to think of them as amoral and think, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's just a thing. So what that I'm so attached to that? But Jesus is basically saying that material things are not neutral if they are treasured. They become a master to be served. 1 John, chapter 2. Very well-known passage. 1 John, in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's, there's the, the contrast once, once again. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now obviously you've got to use things. You gotta wear clothes. You gotta get somewhere, get a, a car or a horse or a bike or somewhere to get places. You know, you gotta live in some kind of shelter. Right? You gotta eat food. Jesus is not saying you can't do those things. Think about it. The next passage we're going to look at starting uh, next week is all about worrying and being anxious about what you'll wear, what you'll eat, and, uh, and where you're going to live. What are you going to do? So he's not saying you can't do those things. It's just the idea of being so wrapped up in them. See, and, and by the way, in Bible times, uh, a master would rarely, two masters would rarely own a, a slave jointly. You know, like a, you know, people own a boat together, let's say. Well, they wouldn't say, hey, we're going to own this slave together. You, you get them half the time, and I'll get him the other half of the time. It just never worked out. See, divided loyalties would happen. The slave then would, al- would also prefer one master over the other. Uh, but Jesus basically says, you've got to choose. You will choose. You already chose, basically. If we work for possessions, we'll end up hating God. If we work for God, we'll end up hating possessions. By the way, hate, meaning... Um, by comparison of our love for the other, okay? Hate in comparison to our love for God. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about this. Our hearts have room for only one all-embracing devotion, and we can only cleave to one Lord. We can only cleave to one Lord. Matthew six twenty-four 24 in, in uh, the message says this. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you're going to end up hating the other. And adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. So Jesus ends this verse with these words. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Now, in some translations... It says mammon, and in, other, in some translations, it's actually capitalized. This actually is a, a, Jesus is using this personifying possessions as a rival God. And so that's why it was originally capitalized. Um, the word is basically mammona, um, and it's in, in Aramaic, it's mammon. And, and Jesus is personifying wealth or possessions of all kinds as a competing God, an object uh, of worship, a rival to the true God. But the history of this word is really interesting. It, it's very interesting. Um, the history of this world is this. It wasn't a bad word. Okay, we say we can't serve God and mammon. Mammon, ooh, bad, bad, right? Because Jesus is using it that way. Um, but it was not a bad word, and it, uh, it actually was a good word. It came from a root meaning to entrust. To entrust something to someone else. It was anything, mammon or mamona, was anything that a person entrusted to a banker or some kind of safe deposit of some kind. Um, But what happened was, in time it came to mean not what is entrusted, but what you trust in. What you trust in. It began to be spelled with a capital M. It came to stand for anything other than the true God in which you placed your trust. And and what Jesus is saying is that service to both this false God and the true God is incompatible. It won't work. See, Jesus knows people. (laughs) Jesus knows people and Jesus knows and knew then and and knows now how mixed up we get in this whole realm. It's, it's, uh, It's really... It's really obvious um, to us and to, and to him. Um, it, I mean, what it does is it puts us in a, in a position where we say, we realize that we are bankrupt spiritually. It, it goes back to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is talking to his disciples and all who will listen. and He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who, are, who see themselves as bankrupt before God, who see themselves with no resources, Apart from what God gives. But it puts us in this bankrupt position and it really does lead us into the next passage which is talking about not being anxious because worry and anxiety uh, is the overriding focus of those who fixate on this world. If you are always worried, if you're always anxious, you are too focused on this world. I am too focused on this world. On this world. Because I worry too often. I am anxious too often. I lay awake um, at night worrying about things too often. And so I am too fixated on this world. You know what Jesus is showing us in this passage that we're looking at really the last three weeks. Is that being worldly minded is a common thing that is used uh, to ensnare us. It's something that Satan uses to ensnare us. Look with me at First Timothy chapter six. And in First Timothy and six, kind of a dual uh, focus here of false teachers and being truly content. In First Timothy chapter six. Verse 6 There is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Shades of Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. But first Timothy, Timothy says, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, and we, all, we are all rich, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, treasures in heaven, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now go with me over to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1. For. Freedom Christ has set us free, therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, the the whole idea that Jesus is getting at is you're going to get enslaved. You're going to get enslaved by what you fixate upon. And you will either have a good master, God, who will lift you up, or a bad master, possessions that will drag you down. See, um, we get to the D word, and I know you think it's devotion, but it's not. That's too easy. Devotion is really discipleship. Discipleship. Following Jesus. See, Jesus here is speaking of following him, serving him, loving him, belonging to him, obeying him. Daily devotion to God. Daily devotion. Matthew 16 See, we are such consumers. We are such consumers. We think of following as an option. Just one among many on a smorgasbord of spirituality, laid out before us with God as the one who is there just to cater to our every need. A choice that we make, we think of discipleship even, following Christ as a choice that we make Some, somewhere along the spectrum of total obedience and casual interaction casual interest, but whatever suits us, whatever suits our lifestyle, that's the brand of Christianity that often is attached to we desire to build fully devoted followers of Christ. Let's go back and parse those words. (laughs) Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ It's not casual. It's not a smorgasbord choice. We, We we sometimes treat Jesus as if we were the master and he was at our mercy. I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to do that and I'm in charge of my life. Then you're not following Jesus. See, some people who say they love Jesus never make the transition to full commitment. And often it's taught that, you know, uh, you can come in the door and just hang out and you're going to heaven. Heaven. And if you want, if you want to be super spiritual, go for the full commitment option. But it'll cost you everything. But only the super spiritual go there. See, Jesus um, says, you're going to make a choice between two masters. In fact, you already have. You already have. One leads to life, the other leads to death. So who are you serving? Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But, thanks be to God, that you were once slaves to sin, but have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking, Paul says, in human terms, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, growth in Christ, God at work in your life to conform you to the image of Christ. That's why in Galatians 5.1 it says don't be subjected again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Let's look at the relative merits though if you're still unconvinced. Let's look at the relative merits of serving God or possessions. It's clear which way each one will lead you. On the one hand you've got serving God. Serving God. It leads to freedom. The freedom that belongs to the children of God. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, Keep seeking the things above, not the things that are on earth. It leads to profit. Isaiah 48 and verse 17 and 18 says, I am the Lord who teaches you to profit. Who leads you in the way that you're to go. It leads to living in truth. Psalm 25 and verse 5. The psalmist cries out to God, lead me in your truth and teach me. At his disposal. Looking to his master. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. His time is not his own. Leads to true worship. By the way, Charlie is a great worship leader. But in many sense, we're all worship leaders. But not in front of the church. Church. Every day in your sphere of influence, you are teaching people, you are leading people in what it means to worship God or stuff. Every day. What it means to be devoted either to things or to the true God. Last week I wrote an email to our worship leaders and to our staff, and I, I put a typo in that one person found, and I had written, worship pleaders, two Ps, worship pleaders, and someone wrote back and said, well, you know, that's actually, that's actually true. We're pleading with God. We're saying, Lord, open our eyes. We're saying, Lord, free us from the things that, that, that cause us to be slaves. Uh, lead us. In fact, go with me to, in the Psalms. I want to show you a few Psalms. Psalm 120 through, 120, through 134. Psalms 120 to 134. Um." These are called Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of climbing. Okay? Um, in, in Hebrew, Shirei Hamelot. Uh, and what the Psalms of Ascent were is they would sing these Psalms as they took the trip. The worshipers would take their trip to Jerusalem, uh, the highest city in Palestine. They were going to worship. And whoever traveled there spent much of their time ascending, going uphill. Now, spiritually, the the trip pictured a life lived upward to God, uh, developing in maturity, growing deeper. And these psalms were sung looking to God as their master, preparing their hearts um, to to be uh, in the temple and worship. Psalm 120, In my distress I called to the Lord, He answered me. Psalm 121, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. As I'm walking to Jerusalem, I lift my eyes to the hills surrounding Jerusalem and I wonder, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. Verse 8. Psalm 122, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. They're singing as they're going. Psalm 123, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And it goes on and on. Songs to, to worship God by. It leads us to worship. It also leads us to blessings. Blessings both now and, and forever. But Ephesians 1.3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But on the other hand, serving possessions leads to slavery. Eugene Peterson said the Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not in achieving freedom, but in learning service under a better master. The Christian realizes that every relationship that excludes God becomes oppressive. Recognizing and realizing that we urgently want to live under the mastery of God. Serving possessions leads to loss. Write this down, Proverbs 11.4, Matthew 16.26, 1 Corinthians 3.10-15, through 15. read those later. But you can just look in verse um, chapter 6, verse 19, and Jesus saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, moth, rust, and thieves are going to do away with those things. It leads to deception too, the anxiety that comes from seeking stuff that ruins us. Being deceived, it leads to idolatry. D.A. Carson, by the way, summarizes it this way. Either God is served with a single-eyed devotion or he is not served at all. Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. The second century testament of Judah stated this. My children, love of money leads to idolatry because once they are led astray to money, they designate us as God's those who are not gods. It makes anyone who has it go out of his mind. And the writer wrote this, On account of money, I utterly lost my children. The price of error blinded me. Scott Haithman wrote this in his book, The, the God of Promise and the Life of Faith. The essence of sin is misguided gratitude, not ingratitude. As dependent creatures, we all by nature thank somebody or something, usually ourselves, <laughs> for what we experience and achieve and the ultimate object of our gratitude becomes the object of our worship in turn the object of our gratitude becomes the object of our service since we inevitably serve whatever or whomever we think will meet our needs that's why in Romans one twenty-five, worship and service are linked worshiping and serving the creator rather than uh, the creature rather than the creator but idolatry is the futile attempt to look to anyone or anything other than the true creator and provider so let me ask you, what is your source of security today? What are you truly trusting in? Where do you gain your sense of worth? What are you striving to achieve and why? Because the other thing that, that, that serving possessions leads to is judgment. Judgment, Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 Romans 2, 6-11 through 11 says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-being seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And he shows later that truly doing good is believing in Jesus Christ putting your trust in him not making him an add-on to your life but the central focus of your life you know in football some of you are going to be watching football games today a, uh, a coach can throw the challenge flag and the refs have to review their call that they made they make a judgment on the field and they can question the call and often you'll find the refs coming back And they'll overturn their decision. Or they'll say, upon further review, the ruling on the field stands. You can tell I've watched a few. (laughs) Well, sometimes their judgment is proven right. But God's verdict always stands. See, ignoring or refusing discipleship is challenging God's authority. It's questioning his authority. See, it's all or nothing with Jesus. He asks for all. He gives you all. He asks for all. That's the true gospel message. Once we sign on with Jesus, discipleship is not an option. You will have a master, a curios, a Lord. And when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not just a cool way of sounding spiritual. We are saying, he has absolute ownership over my life. Jesus is Lord. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? God has made him both Lord and Christ. He has absolute ownership over those who claim allegiance. And it is not just an option for the super spiritual. Jesus must be acknowledged for who he really is. See, many think they can just kind of clink, kind of be on the fringe. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Why'd you call me Lord, Lord, and didn't do what I say? See, there's a common reason why we have trouble with the D word, discipleship. It's because. Uh, it's closely related to the L word, Lord, and we get tangled up in the S word, sin, and its deceptive relative, the C word, compromise. We lose our convictions, and we get swallowed up in all the all the uh, things that our culture says will make us health, healthy, happy, and wise. And we need the word of God in prayer. We need each other. We need other people. Showing us the way. We need to help show other people the way. We need to be in mentoring relationships with one another where you can receive and give. If you don't have someone like that in your life, and I've said it before, find someone. If you're not that person in someone's life, be that person. See, here's what discipleship is. It's being different. It's a counterculture. And it's interacting with the culture for the common good. Being different for the common good. It's not serving possessions as a slave, but using what God has given for his work and the benefit of others. For God's glory and our good. John Piper put it this way, possessions on earth are not for accumulating, they are for distributing in ways that Christ is honored and our joy in heaven is increased. See, Christ is counseling us here. In these verses. Telling us to find our joy where true joy can be found. In himself. The not seen eternal things are better than the seen temporary things. That there is treasure in heaven. That the things of earth are not worthy to be compared. That we should not sell for anything less. That nothing compares to the value of knowing Jesus. That we should, that we should know that a worldly person is wrong at the very core of what they believe and they build upon a faulty foundation. That everything belongs to God. That anything we have comes from Him. That we can buy and sell. We can use. We can even rearrange. But we cannot create. The ultimate ownership is God's. This verse that we're looking at today. Just one verse. It points out the obvious. What you cannot do what you cannot do you cannot exclusively serve two masters and what you will do you will choose between the two and why is it so important whom you serve why is it so big why is it is it so crucial it's because you will become like your master we become like what we serve Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you needy, wanting to be like you. We, we know that you said that the disciple is not above his teacher, but to everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher, and, and we know, Lord, that we love what we follow and we follow what we love, and Lord, we want to, to follow you. We want to love you. We want to give ourselves to, to you alone. We know, Lord, that you are a good master, that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light. So, Lord, give us grace to, to obey what you have said.